0: but I think it's a special experience when you have a chamber orchestra where, you know, we're the ones creating the vision for the piece from the inside of the orchestra.
1: That's cellist and artistic coordinator of Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, Jim Wilson, our guest on Heart of the Arts today to talk about the upcoming performance with French violinist Renaud Capucin here in Scottsdale this month. I'm Melissa Green, welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. cellist and artistic coordinator of Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, Jim Wilson, is with us on the podcast today. Thanks for talking to K-Bach.
0: Sure, it's my pleasure.
1: So I wanted to first ask, since I've been in public radio or classical radio for like 10 years now, and Orpheus Chamber Orchestra has always been huge. We play them every day. And they're definitely one of my favorite orchestras. And I've studied music, but for me how i would describe the orchestra is they have that classic sound you know chamber music is supposed to be personal but they really draw you in and i like i feel uplifted by the music how would you describe that sound and how it's evolved
0: Yeah, so i mean that's i think that among my colleagues in the orchestra and myself that's something we're the most proud of is the sound and the kind of sense of energy and um, like you said, the kind of personal touch we give to the music. I think with a mm-hmm. lot of orchestral music, we're so used to hearing, you know, even Mozart or Haydn played by a fairly large orchestra with big string mm-hmm. sections and everything, and, um, which is wonderful <laughs> and I love it too. Um, but I think it's a special experience when you have a chamber orchestra where, you know, we're the ones creating the vision for the piece from the inside of the orchestra mm-hmm. and every player, because we're so small, every player has to commit to about 200% mm-hmm. <laughs> to the music. Yeah. Um, so I think that's maybe what comes across to the audience.
1: Yeah, And I that know commitment. that when we
0: play around the world, that's always the thing that strikes people is the kind of sense of energy and the kind of the defined vision of the piece.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's definitely a different energy to it. And that's why I described it as almost more of a feeling than, you know, other sounds that I hear. It's just something that I describe more in from my body.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, when you're playing in the orchestra, it feels that way too. It's 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 mm. electrifying when you play in the orchestra. You feel like you're I bet. <laughs> like like doing some Amazing, like downhill skiing or something, you know, something that's a little terrifying and a little on the edge, but also exhilarating at the same time.
1: Oh, that's a great way to describe it. I love that. Um, so like we've been talking about, it's a conductorless orchestra. And what some audience members might not know is a lot of it is about body language.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Um... One thing that's evident to everybody that sees Orpheus in action is, of course, that we don't have a conductor, and that we really rely on a lot of movement um, to to stay together and also to show the musicality of what we're thinking of in the moment. Um, and a lot of the responsibility comes down on the concertmaster, who is, you know, first chair, first violin, and so they're, they 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 are kind of a number one person to keep things together but then from there that position then there's um many many other touch points within the orchestra um even people the furthest away from the um concert have to do a lot of body language so that we all stay tight
1: mm-hmm. yeah and then this is all part of um the other mission of the ensemble of looking through the lens of a chamber orchestra. So again, kind of touching on that, you know, looking through that lens, is that basically what you just described? And is it that a totally different feeling than I'm sitting next to everyone in a symphony and there's the conductor?
0: Yeah, I think I, you know, like I was saying, because we're small in numbers, the sense of personal responsibility that you have towards mm-hmm. a performance, or even in rehearsal, is just massive. Yeah. <laughs> There's no place to hide, <laughs> um, and uh, mm-hmm. and you can't just sit back and rely on your colleagues to kind of pull you through. You have to you have to join hands and do it all together, and it's you know it's it's really interesting. For instance. The program that we will be be playing out there uh, very soon um, is has one of the kind of typical big orchestra pieces on it that you would hear, which is Messiaen's Pictures at an Exhibition, mm-hmm. and we we had our kind of artistic friend and collaborator Jeanine and Norpod arrange it for our orchestra. So okay. arrange it for a small orchestra. And I'm very curious to see we're we're just gonna go into rehearsals very soon with that, but I'm just curious to see how what experience that will be as compared to playing in a large symphony orchestra the same piece.
1: Yeah. Wow. And so Thinking about that kind of piece and what you just said about 200%, I always find it fascinating too, when musicians fly in and they get together and they only have this amount of time to rehearse together. So they really have to be on when they come together. Like at that yeah, 200%. You have to be on
0: and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 the, also the level of personal preparation that you have to do is really big. Yeah. In Orpheus, so yeah, you know, uh, we all get our parts well in advance, and we also get the scores to the pieces, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so, and we, especially if you sit in a principal chair or if you're a wind, you really make a lot of marks in your music so that you know what's going on at all times, what what the important voices are, what should come out, you know, if you're playing along, you know, similar material with other sections. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and again, that, that makes it easy when we go into rehearsal, um, it's always the first read through tends to be of excellent quality already. And then it, and then it's just a question of kind of refining it down.
1: Yes. So all of these wonderful things that we've been talking about, there's also, of course, gotta be with that closer knit group, you know, arguments about how
0: things should be done.
1: I mean, healthy arguments.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And our rehearsal, if somebody were to be a fly on the wall in our rehearsals, they they can seem quite chaotic at times and contentious at times. And But, you know, that's, I mean, the old thing they say about democracy is it can be messy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're a very democratic uh, orchestra by design where everybody gets a say in how the music goes. And so, yeah, sometimes it can be messy. Um, but we have a code of conduct, uh, and, uh, I think every, and a huge level of respect for all of our colleagues. And so, you know, even if you disagree with somebody's uh, comment or the way that they want to do something, you, 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 you still listen to them and give them that consideration.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, um, Another thing that I read was that you have a designated set of people who listen in on rehearsals and give their feedback. Is that like these designated listeners who kind of is that accurate? Are they part of the orchestra? Are yeah, they just yeah. listening? And it sounds fascinating to me.
0: Just yeah, this you've Melissa, you've done your homework <laughs> <laughs> on our rehearsal process. Yeah, so we we actually you know, we have we have terms for a lot of things. And so one of the terms we have is designated listener. And all that means is that somebody pretty much at all times during our rehearsals, somebody will put down their instrument and not play. But they'll go to the front, like if it's if we're rehearsing in a hall, they'll go out into the where the audience sits. Or if it's we're rehearsing in a room, they'll go to kind of the front of the room and they'll just listen. Um, and listen for problems, and also then the or that allows the orchestra to have an objective ear. So if we're wondering what sounds good, the designated listener can just say, "No, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, <laughs> try something else." Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a huge. I mean, I, I don't even know if a conductor has that same sense of what. A group will sound like you know because they're kind of standing right in the thick of things. Right. So it's 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 very wonderful to step back and then it can. I found it can also be really magical. You know, like especially if we do like a piece that we haven't done before and you just think it sounds awkward and weird and nothing's working out. And then you go out and you listen to it and it sounds fantastic. (laughs) It's like the best feeling in the world. You know,
1: it's talked about a lot. It's important to listen back to yourself. Yeah,
0: that's right. So
1: that's a really important part of the process, whether you're just getting ready to for live performance or, or studio recordings. Um, Oh gosh, that sparked a question. Um, okay, what was I gonna go? Where was I gonna go next? <laughs> oh yeah. So I was going to say, we've you've probably been to a concert where any type of performance where you're like, gosh, I would like to hear more bass, or maybe I would like to hear the vocals a little more clearly. My question is, you know, we've all been to those shows where we critique what we're hearing and how it could be better. So. As an audience member, I think we might assume that everyone in the ensemble is hearing the same thing, but I wanted to ask a step further. When they go out and listen, you know, each musician might hear something better than someone else. I might be better at hearing this. Is that true or?
0: Yeah, I, I, that that's really interesting. And, and the the thing about the the listeners is that everybody has their own personality, and they're they're searching for something in the music that wouldn't occur to anybody else you know and I I tend to be a very like uh, when I when I listen I tend to be uh, how do I put this I hear that like the big picture and Mm -hmm. usually like if it like moves me in some way whereas Mm -hmm. some of my colleagues will go out and be like no the 16th notes aren't together or you know something (laughs) a little more technical that Mm -hmm. you know that When I listen, I don't listen for those kinds of things because I always assume they'll get taken care of by themselves, or or no one will notice. Yeah, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Yes, (laughs) but like, I mean, that's just what you said, Melissa. Like, there's always somebody that notices that, you know. Yes. So, and that's that's why it's good to do your housekeeping. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: No, I yeah, I've been in those situations. Um, So, you're a cellist, and you're familiar with, let's just say, the Bach prelude suite, or the suites, the preludes. Um, As a guitarist, I'm familiar with those. I'm curious as this, for the chamber ensemble, uh, is there, I always thought of Bach as the most difficult to master in certain Baroque pieces. Would you say that's similar as a soloist and for the ensemble?
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I, I, I never thought of that before. Like
1: I, I was thinking of Mussorgsky and the orchestration and this big giant piece and then, you know, Baroque music. And I was like, I wonder as an ensemble if there's, you know, they need more discussion about this genre or this form or this era. Yeah, Yeah, that's,
0: that's really interesting. And every, I mean, when you're a musician, I think you start to realize that every single kind of era of music or genre of music or whatever requires like a different way of playing or a different way of kind of approaching the music. So definitely something like Bach or other Baroque composers that has its own musical vocabulary that you have to take on, yeah. you know, when you play that. And then some, and something like Mozart, which is actually incredibly pleasurable to play. It's also really, it's like a, it, it sends you down a rabbit hole of interpretation. Like there's so many different things you can do with it and so many ways to mm-hmm. play it. And, yeah, and th- and that's that's also fascinating as yeah, well. Yeah, those
1: and it's fun to be able to be like this has so many different interpretations. What whoopsie? Like there go my glasses. What are we gonna do? <laughs> what are we gonna do with this?
0: Yeah, and the be- the better the composer and the better the piece. I mean, like like you said, the Bach, you know, cello suites. I mean, those are fantastic pieces written by one of the best composers in from history. And so, like, there's so much depth there, and you. I don't know mm-hmm. as a as a cellist I feel like I can never kind of reach my ideal. Yeah. You know. And so I'm always trying something new and I think that's it's really great to broaden that out then into what an ensemble like the Orpheus Chamber orchestra can do. It's like I don't think you ever reach your ideal. It's always you're always experimenting and you're you know you're working with the personnel that you have which changes over time and so like your interpretation changes and I think that's that's something that's really exciting about you know any kind of music but also about classical music is that it changes all the time
1: yeah it does and it can always come around and be relevant
0: yeah that's right in some
1: way So let's talk about your upcoming performance in a couple weeks, January nineteenth, here at mm-hmm. Scottsdale Performing Arts. I, we talked a little bit about the Mazzorgsky, but I wanted to know about um, French violinist Renaud Capuçon. How did that relationship develop?
0: Yeah, so we, um, the artistic team at Orpheus, we're always looking around for people to be good collaborators, mm-hmm. um, as composers or arrangers or as guest soloists. And I think that the solo um, relationship with Orpheus is a really special one. So not, Mm -hmm. not everybody can do it. Not everybody can can play a concerto with us without a conductor. Um, And so we're always looking for people that that have really strong kind of chamber music backgrounds like Renault does. Mm -hmm. Um, And so straight off the bat, we know, he'll get our model. Yeah. Um, and, and we're doing a really, we're doing actually doing an arrangement of Prokofiev Violin Sonata that's arranged for string orchestra and, and timpani, hmm. um, and solo violin and that, that, that will be very exciting too. Cause it has all that kind of built in chamber music y <laughs> kind of elements that I think will really play to all of our strengths.
1: And again, because I'm always fascinated with this, how much rehearsal time do you get together? You know, how and is that, you know, because of who you pick, it must be like, well, we're we're gonna easily connect with this person right off the bat.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's there's so many factors to be involved, like that person's schedule, and in this case, who knows, a very busy, yeah <laughs> performing musician all around the world. And then, you know, how much how much actual time we get with him. Um, so there's never enough rehearsal time. And in this case, I think we have enough to make a really great performance. So those rehearsals will go be going into them shortly, um, in New York city where we're based. Yeah.
1: Awesome. And I wanted to mention you're on the faculty at Columbia for music performance. Yes. So, um, (laughs) how has your approach since, you know, of course everyone's kind of seems to be coming out full force, especially over the last year, but how is has your approach approach to live yeah. performance or teaching about it changed, if at all?
0: And, um, I'll just put a little kind of personal side uh, comment about Columbia is that I, it's a wonderful, fantastic, legendary <laughs> university yes. and institution. And the thing that I love about it the most is that I, I don't teach the students there who will be going into... Uh, performance as musical performance as a profession. Okay. So there my my students are incredibly bright. Um, you know, cellists, <laughs> uh scholars who who you know, do study cello with me because that's what they love to do. And so that 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 brings a special kind of um, uh, I don't know. I just I I love teaching music as a thing to love
1: yes, rather than I'm- as
0: you know a future <laughs> mm-hmm. mode of employment and I, I that's very pleasurable to me so yeah. that's that's my columbia side story <laughs> on that but
1: oh wow i didn't know that was a thing um is performance and critique part of part of that education that you offer though
0: yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay. yes yeah. So, so they you know i i teach kind of technique you know, how to play, how to play the instrument better. But, but I also, you know, I really love teaching, like if they're approaching a piece, I love saying, I love kind of peeling the layers off and being like, no, this phrase is, is, you know, it should be really beautiful and, and try it another way. And, or, you know, or if you want to try another way, what would that be? And, and for me, that's what, I mean, that's what the mystery and the beauty of, I think classical music is, cause it's just, it's just little scratch marks on paper, right. That you have to kind of mm-hmm. interpret into something that is yourself, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that comes across to the audience as something that's very personable and, and like yourself. And I think that that's, I think the mark of a good teacher is somebody who can really spark that curiosity and that creativity in their students and giving them a, a, a technical base to allow that to happen.
1: Yeah. The technical base is so important, but then what (laughs) you're teaching, it's kind of like acting, like it's, you know, when you go out and do it, it's hard to make the words on the page come to life. Otherwise it's just a word on a page. So like, I'm wondering if sometimes for musicians like yourself, it's, you know, you give it a character, you give it this whole mood. So like from start to finish, you feel like you're, getting your story across better.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's the whole that's the whole reason <laughs> <laughs> to be a musician.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um so what else is on the horizon for Orpheus, you know, outside of or inside of touring?
0: Oh wow. Well, um you know, this is our 50th anniversary year
1: that's right which is
0: incredibly exciting Um, and you know we're an orchestra that's always evolving um, Mm -hmm. and and always kind of (laughs) devouring a lot of music and um for instance the program that we're playing there in arizona has pieces that were written for us pieces uh, music by other composers that were arranged for us by very Mm -hmm. you know talented people um and, 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 and then a version of a violin sonata that's blown out to be played by an orchestra. So, you know, these are things that I find very exciting, um, along with playing, you know, Mozart and Haydn and Beethoven. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, you know, what we can really make our stamp on going forward um, as, as an ensemble, kind of enrich the repertoire do something different, always finding new new ways to be creative.
1: Yeah, and especially if these musicians are having pieces being written for them.
0: Yeah. That's
1: Those are going to appear on the program as well. Yes,
0: yes, the the piece. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a fantastic program. It was the the whole um kind of germ of the program was inspired by pictures at an exhibition. Yes. And you know, and you also asked a little earlier about um kind of how coming out of the pan problem problem problems with <laughs> the pandemic. Sorry. Too yeah. much alliteration. <laughs> but coming you know, coming out of all those problems, which are so difficult for musicians, I mean it's terrible. Yeah. And um and how that affected going forward. And I think this is a program that you could really Tell came out of the pandemic because I think one of the things that was a, maybe a um, silver lining is that a lot of people in the arts kind of had to band together and mm-hmm. look elsewhere for inspiration. Mm-hmm. So this is a program that takes kind of its inspiration from visual um, art. So, you know, we have mm-hmm. the pictures at an exhibition. Then we have this new piece by Hannah Ben um, that is her take on it. And we we also wanted to collaborate with one of our institutions down the street from us, down the street from Carnegie Hall in New York City. There's uh, MoMA, Museum of Modern Art, um, and they were they were generous enough to allow Hannah to wander around the museum and find inspirations for her kind of take on pictures at an exhibition. So we'll be playing that there in Arizona.
1: Wow, that is so cool. Um, yeah, it's really
0: cool. It's, <laughs> it's really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, just thinking about being and living in New York, um, would you ever imagined yourself doing this work? And how do you feel being immersed in it now, especially now that you're kind of out doing things again, touring, you're in the city working with MoMA?
0: You you mean like did I ever imagine myself like when I was a kid?
1: (laughs) Yeah, just yeah, yeah. or you know, even being a professional musician, you know, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. It's it's
0: it's really interesting. I come from a musical family, and I think I think it's just one of the things that, uh, like playing cello and kind of living and breathing music was just something that I did very naturally. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't start playing till I was eleven. But my father's a composer um, and I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is a very musical town. And so I, I, you know, I had a lot of good vibes around me and it just, it just was something I just kind of eased into, like, you know, diving into a swimming pool. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I've I've never gotten out of that swimming pool, Hmm. but yeah, I I didn't, but I moved to, I moved to New York um, when I was 40. And I'm in my 50s now, so I haven't lived there that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a place I'll always be grateful. I'll be I'll always be grateful for having the experience of living in New York City because it's a, it's a very special place. It's almost like its own country. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's music everywhere. There's different people everywhere. You know, and it's there's all kinds of wonderful things there that just bump right up against everything else. And that's that's a really exciting place to, again, be an artist and and just be a guy out walking the sidewalks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, it sounds like you're in a really wonderful time with the orchestra, the 50th anniversary and everything that you have coming up. Sounds like you're evolving. And I think everyone here in Arizona is excited to hear them live it'll be my first time so i'm excited
0: yeah i'm i'm excited too that our orchestra is is coming out there and playing it'll be really wonderful
1: yeah well thanks for coming on our podcast today and uh we'll see you in a couple weeks
0: thanks melissa this has been a pleasure
1: that's the cellist and artistic coordinator of Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, Jim Wilson, who will be bringing the ensemble with violinist Renault Capuçon to the Scottsdale Performing Arts Center Thursday, January 19th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets and information can be found at ScottsdalePerformingArts.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.